Chapter 21, March 17th. By the time I fell asleep last night, I knew what I was going to have to do today. The only question would was would I have the strength. But when I woke up, I saw Mom struggle to get her, get off her mattress, as though she needed to be up and around to do things for us. And that made up my mind for me. After Matt and John rose, and we all pretended like today was just another day, no harder than any we've been through, I made my announcement. I'm going into town, I said. They stared at me like I was truly crazy. They were probably right. I'm going to the post office, I said. I want to see if there's any word from Dad. What difference does it make, John asked. You think he sent us food? I want us to want to know if Lisa had her baby, I said. I need to know that. I need to know that life is continuing. I'm going to town and find out. Miranda, can we talk, I asked. I nodded since I knew someone was going to go, going to question me about this, and it might as well be him. We left the others in the sermon and went to the living room to talk privately. Do you really think you have the strength to make it to town and back? He asked. I want to say no, of course I don't. And we don't know it. And we don't, we both know it. And that's one reason why I'm going. I wanted to say, stop me. Because if I'm going to die, I want to die at home. I wanted to say, how could you have let this happen to me? As though it was Matt's fault and he could have saved us somehow. None of which I said. I know it's crazy, I said instead. But I really need to know if Lisa had the baby. I feel like it's okay for me to die if she did. And maybe the post office is open and maybe there's a letter. How much longer can I last anyway? A week? Two? I'm willing to lose a few days for peace of mind. You understand that, don't you? But if you can, you will come back, he said, after a long pause. I hope I can, I said. I'd rather be here. But if I can't, that's okay, too. What about Mom, he asked. I thought about that, I said. I think this is actually better for her. If I don't come back, she can always have hope that I'm okay. I don't want her to see me die, and I don't want, don't know that I can outlive her. This is really best, Matt. I thought about it a lot, and this is the best. Matt looked away. I'm sorry, he said. But what about the skis? John's going to need them after we've gone. Well, that was it, wasn't it? I wasn't leaving home to give Johnny just a little better chance. We were starving ourselves to give Johnny just a little better chance. If I really wanted him to have that chance, then I better accept that this casual stroll to town was meant to kill me, in which case I didn't need the skis. I'll leave them behind, I said. Tell John they'll be behind the oak tree and he should get them right after I leave. But don't tell Mom unless she asks. Let her think I'm coming back, okay? You don't have to do this, Matt said. I know, I said, and kissed him goodbye. And I love you and Johnny and Mom more than I ever knew. Now let me go and say goodbye while I still have the nerve. So I did. Mom was so weak, I don't think she really understood what was going on. She just told me to get back before dark, and I said I would. John looked like he had a thousand questions, but Matt wouldn't let him start. I kissed him, and Mom told them to leave a light on for me, like that had any meaning. I rammed a pen and one of the blue books into my coat pocket. Then I went to the front door, picked up Dad's shoes, skis, and poles, and walked to the road. When I got to the oak tree, I carefully placed them where no one from the road could see them. Then I started the walk to town. I wanted desperately to turn around to see the house, say goodbye, but I didn't let myself... I was scared that if I allowed myself that moment of weakness, I would race back in, and what good would that do any of us? Did I really need to be alive on my birthday? Did I even want to be? If Mom died between now and then? So I kept my eyes straight ahead and began the journey. For the first mile, flooding wasn't too bad, since John and I had skied there and come back to the snow. Sure, I fell a few times where the snow was ice-like, but I managed. I told myself the rest of the trip wouldn't be too bad and there was hope I could get to the town, maybe even find a letter from Dad and get home. I like telling myself that. 
The next two miles were brutal. I don't think anyone had walked on it since Christmas. I found I couldn't walk after a while, so I sat on the snow and pushed myself forward, half rowing, half sledding. It took all my strength to go a few feet, and the harder I worked, the more I yearned to give up and let myself die then and there. But I pictured the pizza parlor, and Dad told me they weren't in heaven. If there was a letter, I wanted to know. Death could wait a few more hours. I felt a lot better when I got to a spot where I could walk upright again. I was soaking wet by that point and freezing cold, but being on my own two feet gave me a sense of dignity and purpose. It made me feel human again, and that gave me some strength back. One of the scariest things was seeing how very few houses had smoke coming out of the chimneys. It wasn't like I could go to any of them and say, Rescue me, feed me, feed my family, because all they'd do was throw me out. We would have done the same if anyone came to our door. But to see so many houses with no signs of life, some people I knew had simply left while that was still possible, while others must have died from the flu or the cold or the hunger. We were all still alive, Mama, Matt, and Johnny and me, and I'd left a record. People would know I had lived. That counted for a lot. The closer I got to town, the easier it was to walk. But the closer I got to town, the fewer signs of life I saw. It made sense. The people there lived closer together, so they shoveled their snow at least in the beginning. But they were also less likely to have wood stoves and more likely to have frozen to death. The closer they lived, the faster the flu would have spread. Our isolation had saved us, given us weeks with maybe even months more life. By the time I got near to see the post office, I was starting to feel like I could make it back home. I knew that was madness, that the road was uphill, and I had no strength left for that part where I would be able to walk. It's one thing to push yourself downhill, but pushing yourself uphill would be impossible. My heart would give out, and I'd die a couple of miles from home. But I didn't care. I'd made it to town, and that was all I planned for. I'd go to the post office and find word from Dad that he and Lisa and baby Rachel were still alive and well. Then it wouldn't matter where I died or how. Johnny would live, and so would Rachel, and that's what had counted. It was eerie standing on the main street of town, seeing no one, hearing no one, smelling nothing but the stench of death. I saw the carcasses of dogs and cats people had left behind that couldn't survive in the cold without food. I bent down and clawed at one to see if there was any meat left, but what little clung to the skeleton was too frozen to pry off. I threw it back down onto the snow-covered street and felt relieved I didn't see any human bodies. Then I got to the post office and saw it was dead, too. I felt such despair. It was probably the post office. It was probable the post office had never responded since that last day Matt had worked there. Any fantasy that I had that the reason I'd left the sunroom was to find a letter from Dad floated out of me. I'd gone to town to die. There's no point going home, forcing the others to watch what happened. I sank onto the ground. What was the point? Why should I even try to get back to the house? The kindest thing I could do would be to stay here. Stay where I was left and let the coldness kill me. Mrs. Nesbitt had known how to die. Couldn't I learn that from her? But then I saw a glimpse of yellow. My world has been nothing but shades of gray for so long that the yellow almost hurt my eyes. But something was yellow. I remembered yellow as the color of the sun. I'd seen the sun last July. It hurt to look straight at it, and it hurt to look at this new burst of yellow. It wasn't the sun. I laughed at myself for thinking it might be. It was a sheet of paper dancing in the crosswinds down the street. But it was yellow. I had to have it. I forced myself to stand up and chase the street sheet of paper. It taunted me with its dance, but I outwitted it, and with all my remaining strength put my foot over it and pinned it to the sidewalk. I bent down and felt the world swirling around me as I picked it up and stood straight. Just holding it made me excited. There were words. This was a message. Someone, some time had said something and now I could know what it was 
City Hall opens Fridays 2 to 4 p.m. There's no date, no way of knowing when it had been posted or why, but the world words told me where to go. I had nothing to lose. Any dreams I might have died had died with the post office. If City Hall was closed, also it made no difference. So I began the walk to City Hall. I was only a couple of blocks away from the post office. I looked at my watch and saw I had half an hour before it would close, assuming it was even open. But when I got there, the door was unlocked and I could hear voices. Hello, I said, proud of myself that I remember the word. Come on in, a man said. He opened an office door and waved me in. Hi, I said, like this was the most normal thing in the world. I'm Miranda Evans. I live on Howell Bridge Road. Sure, he said. Come in. I'm Mayor Ford and this is Tom Danworth. Pleased to meet you. You too, I said, trying to believe that this wasn't a dream. Come here to sign up for your food, Mayor Ford said. Food, I said. I can get food? It had to be a dream. See, Mr. Danworth, that's why we're not getting many takers. Nobody knows. A lot of death up at Hollow Bridgeway, Mayor Ford said. No reason to go out there. How many in your family, Miranda? Four, I said. My mom and brothers had the flu, but they all lived. Can I get food for them, too? We'll need a witness. They're still alive, the mayor said. But everyone's entitled to one bag of food a week. That's what we've been do it, told, been told, and that's what we're doing. Program's been going on for four weeks now, Mr. Danworth said. So this young lady is entitled to at least four bags. If it was a dream, I didn't want to wake up. Tell you what, the mayor said. Wait until four when we officially close, and Tom here will take you home on the snowmobile. You and your four bags, it is. And he'll check out your story. And if what you say is true, then next Monday we'll send someone out to your home with food for the rest of your folks. Monday's delivery day. How does that sound? I don't believe it, I said. Real food? The mayor laughed. Well, not gourmet, he said. Not like we used to get at McDonald's, but canned goods and some box stuff. Nobody's been complaining. I didn't know what to say. I just walked over to him and hugged him. Skin and bones, he said to Mr. Danworth. Guess she got here just in time. We waited around for the next 15 minutes, but no one showed up. Finally, the mayor told Mr. Danworth to get the four bags from the storage room and take them to the snowmobile. I longed to go through the bags to see what, we, what wonders were inside, but I knew that would only slow things down. Besides, what does it matter? It was food, four bags of food, for a whole week. We wouldn't be hungry. What had taken me three hours was a 20-minute trip to the, by the snowmobile. It felt like flying watching the houses was by. Mr. Danworth drove the snowmobile right to the sunroom door. The noise had obviously startled everybody because they were all standing by the door when I knocked. Well, I guess you were telling the truth, Mr. Danworth said. I definitely see three people here, and they all look mighty hungry. I'll bring you, I'll help you bring the bags in, I said. It was incredibly important for me to do that, to be the one bringing in the food that was going to save us. Fair enough, he said, but let me help. He ended up carrying in three bags to my one, but it didn't matter. Then he gave Mom a piece of paper to sign, saying there were four of us in need of food. We'll be back on Monday, he said. I can't guarantee you'll get all twelve bags you're entitled to, but we should manage seven. Three for this week and four for next. After that, you can count on four bags a week, at least until you hear otherwise. Mom was sobbing. Matt managed to shake Mr. Danworth's hand and thank him. John was too busy pouring through the bags and holding things up for all of us to see. You take care, Mr. Danworth said. The worst is over. You made it this far. You'll make it all the way. Can we have supper tonight, John asked, after Mr. Danworth left. Please, Mom, just this once. Mom wiped away her tears and took a deep breath and smiled. Tonight we eat, she said, and tomorrow and Sunday we'll eat. We had sardines and mushrooms and rice for supper. For dessert, we had dried fruit. 
The electricity came on for the second time today while we were eating. This may be a fool's paradise, but it's paradise nonetheless. March 18th. The electricity came on while we were feasting on chicken, chickpeas, lentils, and carrots. Come on, Mom said. Let's try a laundry. And we did. It was kind of a challenge because we don't have running water, so we had to pour water into the machine for the wash and rinse cycles. But even so, it was still much easier than doing it by hand. We washed all our sheets and the electricity stayed on for most of the clothes dryer time. We celebrated by washing our hair. We took turns shampooing everyone else. Moms insisted we sponge bathe daily, but shampoos are a real treat. Then tonight, the electricity came back on. Only for ten minutes or so, but we didn't care. We made supper in the microwave. Supper in the microwave, the most beautiful words I've ever written. March 19th. We still have three bags of food in the pantry, but I can tell Mom's nervous about tomorrow. It's like the electricity. It comes and goes, but you can't count on it. Still, even if the food's that way, we can make sure John's strong and well-fed, and that will give Mom peace. March 20th. My birthday. I'm 17, and I'm alive, and we have food. Mr. Danworth himself showed up this morning with ten bags of food. We know you're owed more, but this will have to do, he said. See you next Monday with your regular four bags. There was so much, and it was all so wonderful. Powdered milk, cranberry juice, three cans of tuna fish. Well, I could write it all down, but it doesn't matter. It was food, and it will get us through four weeks, and there'll be more food to come. Because it was my birthday, Mom let me decide what we were going to have. I found a box of macaroni and cheese. It was as close as pizza as I could get. There's still so much we don't know. We can only hope Dad and Lisa and baby Rachel are alive. Grandma, too. Sammy and Dan and all the other people we know, we knew who left there. The flu was all over the U.S., probably all over the world. We were lucky to survive that. Most people weren't. The electricity comes and goes, so we don't know when we'll be able to depend on it. We have firewood for a while yet, and Matt is getting stronger. He walked up ten stairs today, and only Mom's insistence kept him from climbing them all. There's plenty of snow outside, so we're okay for water. The sky is still gray, though. And even though the temperature's been above zero for a week now, 20 degrees still feels balmy. But today isn't a day to worry about the future. Whatever will happen will happen. Today is a day to celebrate. Tomorrow there'll be daylight, then night. Tomorrow I'll wake up and find my mother and my brothers by my side, all still alive, all still loving me. A while ago, Johnny asked me if I was still keeping a journal, who I was writing it for. I've asked myself that a lot, especially in the really bad times. Sometimes I've thought, I'm keeping it for 200 years from now so they can see what lives were like. Sometimes I've thought I'm keeping it for the day when people no longer exist but butterflies can read. But today, when I am 17 and warm and well-fed, I'm keeping this journal for myself so I can always remember life as we knew it. Life as we know it. For a time when I am no longer in the sunroom. <laughs>